Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me now to the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we're going to start our reading this morning at chapter 1 in verse 12. Our message series is called The Journey from Doubt to Faith, and in this ser- series we are tracing Habakkuk's journey. You know, Habakkuk had a journey of his own. He started with, quest- with all sorts of questions and doubts in chapter 1, and we're tracing his journey all the way to the end of chapter 3, uh, where he moves from questioning and doubt to settled faith and confidence in the Lord. And we've seen that Habakkuk's three big questions, they're the same three questions that so many people struggle with today. Does God care? Is God fair? Is God there? Those are his three questions. And, you know, last week we looked at the first of those questions. Does God care? Today we move to the second question. Is God fair? And now we're going to be looking all the way from chapter 12, verse 1, and into chapter 2, verse 5 today. But we're just going to read verses 12 and 13 as we get started. So Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Habakkuk's second complaint. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? This is the Word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we uh, study your Word this morning, as we look at Habakkuk's second question, his second complaint, Lord, I pray that you would answer some of our questions this morning and help us to grow in our faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So we come to Habakkuk's second question today, is God fair? Is God fair? Have you ever questioned God's fairness? Has something bad ever happened to you and and you responded by saying, God, that's just not fair. You know, actually, life is frequently unfair. That's something I used to have to tell my boys a lot when they were younger. They would be complaining about something. I would tell them, hey, guys. I'm sorry, but life is not always fair. But you know, saying that life is unfair, that's very different from saying that God is unfair. I can live with life being unfair. After all, I am a sinner. I live in a world that has been affected by sin. And I live here with a whole bunch of other sinners, okay? So so I get it. It makes sense to me that life is not always going to be fair. But when you ask, is God fair? Once again, that's a very different question. You know, last week we looked at Habakkuk's first question, does God care? Remember, Habakkuk was looking around at the people in Judah, and all he saw was violence and injustice. and, And so he questioned whether God even noticed or cared. And God answered Habakkuk. He said, Habakkuk, yes, I do notice. Yes, I do care. He told Habakkuk he was in the very process of raising up the Babylonians who would then come and judge the people of Judah for their sin. But God's answer from last week, that creates a new problem for Habakkuk. Because yes, Judah is sinful, they're unrepentant, but you know what? 
The Babylonians, they're even worse. And so how can God use a more wicked nation to judge a less wicked nation? Last week, Habakkuk struggled with the problem of evil in the world. Now today, in this section, he struggles with the problem of God's justice. Last week, when confronted with the problem of evil, Habakkuk questioned, does God care? Now, when confronted with God's judgment for sin, Habakkuk has a new question. Is God fair? And you know, this is typical of how many people think about God even today. The two biggest questions people ask about God are these, and you've probably heard them. Maybe they've asked you these questions. Two biggest questions people ask about God. Number one, how could a loving God allow evil in the world? How does he do that? How does he put up with that? Doesn't he notice? Doesn't he care? How could a loving God allow evil in the world? Question number one. Question number two. How could a loving God punish people for their sin? Right? You've heard those two questions before, haven't you? People ask those all the time. Those are our modern versions of, does God care? And is God fair? What people don't realize is that their second question actually answers the first. The first question was, does God care? Yes, God is a loving God who does care about evil in the world. How do we know that? Answer the second question. We know that because God will, in fact, judge all evil and sin in the world. In other words, God is both loving and just. And that's just another way of saying God cares, and God is fair. Now, Habakkuk's situation is a little different. Habakkuk was not questioning God's right to judge sin. He wasn't questioning God's right to judge. He was questioning God's method. That was his problem. He said, how could God use the Babylonians to judge the people of Judah? Because they're worse than the people that God was judging. Wouldn't it make more sense to maybe judge the Babylonians? Is Habakkuk's idea, right? Was God being fair? So we're going to take a look at Habakkuk's complaint this morning, and then we will look at God's response to Habakkuk's complaint. Uh, There is an outline in your worship guide this morning, which uh, highlights these two main sections, and then the various verses we'll be looking at underneath each of them, if you'd like to take that out to follow along. So first of all, Habakkuk's complaint. Here's his complaint, okay? How can God use the Babylonians to punish the people of Judah? And Habakkuk is going to bring his complaint forward now in three stages. You'll see them on your outline, three stages. There are three things, okay? Three things that Habakkuk is absolutely convinced of in and of themselves. He's convinced on all three of these. And yet he cannot see how all three could possibly be true at the same time. That's his problem. This is his complaint. So what are these three things Habakkuk is convinced of? First thing, God is sovereign over the nations. Habakkuk is convinced. God is sovereign over the nations. He demonstrates that conviction in two ways. First, he goes small. He believes that God is sovereign over the people of Israel, over one nation. That's where he starts. Okay, we're in verse 12 now. Habakkuk begins. He speaks, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. We, referring to the people of Israel. It's kind of a strange verse at first. You wonder, well, what does God's everlasting nature 
have to do with the people of Israel not dying. What's the connection here? And the connection has to do with God's sovereignty. God is everlasting. He is the first and the last. God has bound himself in a covenant relationship with his people. Therefore, as long as God continues, right? As long as there's a God, God's people would live on. And God is everlasting. There's an interesting parallel to this verse in in, uh, the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. Where God says this. He says, I the Lord do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. What's God saying? He doesn't change. He is everlasting. He is sovereign over Israel. So Habakkuk was confident that even if God judged his people for their sins, he would not completely destroy them. And in fact, that is exactly what God told his people through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11. God says this, Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only with justice. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. So Habakkuk firmly believed God was sovereign over the nation of Israel, but then he expands that. He also believed that God was sovereign over all the other nations as well. Look at the second part of verse 12. What does he say? O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Who's them? It's the Babylonians. O Lord, you have appointed them, the Babylonians, to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them, the Babylonians, to punish. God had just told Habakkuk that he was sending the Babylonians to judge the people of Judah. And so Habakkuk has no doubt that is exactly what God is doing. The Babylonians, they're coming. And Habakkuk affirms that God is the one in control of that. God is the one who appointed them and ordained them for this task. That's the first thing Habakkuk's convinced of. God is sovereign over the nations. No problem. He's convinced of that. Second thing he's convinced of. God is holy and cannot tolerate wrong. God is holy and cannot tolerate wrong. Look at verse 13 with me now. O Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. This is one of the great teachings of Scripture, that God is absolutely holy and pure. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 5 in the New Testament tells us that God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. That verse means that God is perfectly holy, righteous, and pure. It means there is no evil, no sin, no darkness in Him at all. But you know what? Habakkuk goes even further than that here in verse 13. He says, not only is there no darkness or evil in God, God's eyes are too pure even to look upon evil. Now, that does not mean that God closes his eyes and just ignores all the evil in the world, right? Otherwise, how could God judge the world? No, God sees every sin that every person commits every day. When Habakkuk says, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil, what he means is that God does not look at sin with any type of acceptance or approval. Ever. His eyes are too pure to look upon evil. When we look at sin in the world, we are sometimes horrified. 
often disgusted, but you know there are also those times when we are tempted or attracted. Not so with God. God has only one reaction to sin. He is offended. All sin is a direct affront to God's holiness. God is holy, therefore he is offended by sin. God cannot tolerate wrong. Were it not for God's gracious love and forgiveness, His righteous wrath would destroy all of us instantly. This is why the Bible tells us to avoid even the appearance of evil. So let me ask you this morning, are you offended by sin? Do your eyes refuse to look upon evil? 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us, But just as He who called you is holy, that's God, so you be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. We all need to grow in this area of holiness, don't we? We all do. Of course, the fact of God's holiness prompts some additional questions from Habakkuk. Look at the rest of verse 13 where Habakkuk asks God, he says, God, you're holy. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk is trying to reconcile what he knows about what he knows about God with what God has just told him about the Babylonians. He can't understand. How can God use the wicked Babylonians to punish those more righteous than themselves? So Habakkuk knows a couple things, right? He knows God is sovereign. He knows that. That's a fact. He knows that God is holy. That's a fact. And yet there's a third thing Habakkuk also knows. He's firmly convinced of this, that Babylon is wicked and yet prospers. And he can't put the three together. Look at verses 14 through 17 now. Habakkuk describes the Babylonians. He says to God, God, you have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe, he's speaking of the Babylonians here, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? And here, Habakkuk pictures Babylon as a fisherman. And all the nations as helpless fish in the sea. In Babylon, the fisherman is violent. He's cruel. He's pulling up the people of the nations with hooks. He's dragging them away in his nets. Not only that, he gets kind of a kick out of all this. He, he delights in their misery. He rejoices and is glad over those he captures. Now that phrase, rejoice and be glad, that's usually used in contexts of worship, worshiping God. We see that in the Psalms always. Rejoice and be glad. Worship the Lord. Habakkuk uses the words here to highlight how the Babylonians are worshiping themselves rather than God. They're worshiping their own power and success. And then the worship imagery continues in the next verse. It says Babylon sacrifices to his net. He burns incense to his dragnet. Well, those words, sacrifice, burning incense, that's also used in the Bible for worship. Although the form that uh, Habakkuk uses it here, it's usually used uh, of worshiping idols rather than God. That's what the Babylonians are doing here. 
They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping the idol, idols of their own strength. God's the one who raised Babylon up. God is the one who has given them their power and strength. Yet Babylon doesn't think about God. They don't care about God. They don't acknowledge God's role in any of this. What does Babylon do? Babylon worships its own strength and skill. And they worship themselves because it is by their conquest... Habakkuk says that he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. In other words, Babylon enjoys its pleasures at the expense of the nations it conquers. And Habakkuk doesn't see any end to this. It seems like no one can stand up, stand up to them. And so he asks God, are you just going to let this keep going? Will they continually empty their nets? Will they continue destroying the nations without mercy? Three things Habakkuk is convinced of. He doesn't have a problem with any of these three things individually. He knows God is sovereign over the nations. He knows God is holy and cannot tolerate wrong. He knows that Babylon is wicked yet prosperous. He is convinced that all three of these are true, but he just can't see how can they all be true at the same time. If you removed even just one from the equation, it would, take, it would remove the problem. Let, let, let's go through it. Let's take, look at the first one. What if God were not sovereign? Well, then no problem. If God were not sovereign, then he would be powerless to stop Babylon. And so Babylon's success wouldn't raise any questions. It just would be. How about the second one? What if God were not holy? Well, if God were not holy, he wouldn't care about Babylon and what they were doing. And that would also remove the problem. How about number three? What if Babylon was good and prospering? No problem there. Or what if they were even wicked and suffering? No problem reconciling that with a sovereign and holy God. The problem for Habakkuk is he's looking, he says, all three of these conditions, all three of these exist at the same time. God is sovereign. God is holy. Babylon is wicked, yet prospers. Doesn't make any sense to him. Makes him wonder, is God fair? It makes him question God's justice. In chapter 2, verse 1, we come to a brief interlude and yeah, I just love the way Habakkuk deals with his questions and doubts in this book. You know, last week when Habakkuk struggled with doubt, what did he do? Instead of walking away from God, he brought his questions and his doubts to God. And now that he's voiced his second complaint, let's see what he does next. We're in chapter 2, verse 1. This would be a great memory verse, too. It's not one on our list, but it's a good one. It says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk stubbornly clings to God even in the midst of all of his doubts and questions. Habakkuk 2.1 is the Old Testament equivalent of Mark 9.24 in the New Testament where the man calls out, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Habakkuk takes his stand upon the watchtower. He stations himself on the ramparts. He looks for God's answer. Folks, this is something we all need to learn how to do in our lives. When you have questions, when you have doubts, bring them to God and then take your stand. Dig yourself in. Station yourself for the long run and wait upon the Lord. Because God will answer your questions in his time. Now, God may not settle some of your questions until you reach heaven, okay? 
but he will always give you himself and he will always give you the faith to carry on. Habakkuk takes his stand on the watchtower and he looks for God's answer. And then God answers him. We're not told how long he had to wait, but God answers him. God gives him a revelation. God gives him a vision of what will happen in the future. God tells him the Babylonians will also be judged for their sin. Meanwhile, the righteous will live by faith, trusting God to act justly in his own time. Let's look at God's response now. First thing God tells Habakkuk is that the answer awaits an appointed time. Boy, that's a truth that some of us need to hear this morning, don't we? We've been asking God, we've been wondering. The answer awaits an appointed time. Look at verses 2 and 3. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. We have that little phrase in our society today, don't we? We just go, wait for it, wait for it, you know, and then it comes. That's what God says, wait for it. It's coming. God says, Habakkuk, write down this vision that I'm giving you. Write it down. Write it plainly on tablets so that a herald may run with it. And these verses are a little difficult to translate, but the basic gist of it is write it down and make it plain for all to see. Make it so plain that even if a herald's running with it, people can still read it as he's running along. Put it on a big billboard. Put it on I-95. Let everybody see what I'm talking about here. Habakkuk, there is an appointed time for its fulfillment. And when that time arrives, this revelation will not prove false. It's not going to happen right away. Wait for God's perfect timing. Why? Because God's word is certain. The fulfillment of the promise will be neither early nor late. God's answer awaits an appointed time. And secondly, the second part of God's response to Habakkuk, God assures Habakkuk that Babylon's actions are not justified in God's sight. Remember, Habakkuk was concerned about that. He says, you're holy, you're pure, you cannot look on evil. What about the Babylonians? Look at verses 4 and 5. God says, see, he, speaking of the Babylonians, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Little parenthesis, but the righteous will live by his faith. Back to the Babylonians. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. So yes, God is using Babylon to bring judgment to Judah and the other nations, but that does not excuse Babylon's sin. God says Babylon is puffed up, unrighteous, drunk and arrogant, restless and greedy. Babylon conquers their na- the nations not out of concern for God's justice, but because of his own arrogance and greed. God says Babylon is drunk on power and wine, and he says that drunkenness will betray him. Did you know that this prophecy is fulfilled in the book of Daniel chapter 5? 
where we learn that drunkenness was part of what led to Babylon's eventual downfall? See, God's word is certain. Though it linger, it will come. It will not delay. God tells Habakkuk that the Babylonians will also be judged for their sin, but all in God's timing. In fact, as we're going to see uh, it next week or, or the next message, the whole rest of chapter 2 does what? It outlines Babylon's many sins and the specific judgments that are coming for each one of those sins. This is the answer that Habakkuk needed to hear. He knows God's sovereign, right? He knows God is holy. But he also knew that Babylon was wicked and prospering. It didn't make sense. It threw into question God's justice. Is God fair? And now God makes it clear, yes. Babylon will also be judged for their sin. And now Habakkuk knows that God is sovereign, holy, and just. Babylon will be judged for its sin. Meanwhile, the righteous will live by faith, trusting God to act justly in his own time. And and this is the last verse we're going to look at now, verse 4, just the middle of it. That one phrase in the middle of verse 4, so important. The righteous will live by faith. This is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Okay? We first come across it here in Habakkuk, but it's quoted three times in the New Testament as well. Book of Romans, book of Galatians, book of Hebrews. This is the verse that God used to reveal the gospel to Martin Luther. This is the verse that launched the entire Reformation. It is a wonderful verse, both in its original Old Testament context as well as in its New Testament fulfillment. Take a look at the Old Testament context first. What did this verse mean for Habakkuk? For Habakkuk, it meant that he should live by faith while he waited for God's righteous judgment to fall on Babylon. The word live here is significant. It's a confirmation of what Habakkuk said earlier on, the first verse we looked at today, chapter 1, verse 12, where he said, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. He said, we will not die. That's where we started. Now where we're at, the righteous will live by faith. Why is it that the people of Judah would live and not die? Was it because of their own righteousness? Absolutely not. The whole reason God sent the Babylonians was because of their unrighteousness. No, they would live because of their faith in God who had bound himself in a covenant relationship with his people. They would be righteous by faith, not by their own works. And the full implications of this verse are brought out to us later in the New Testament when we learn of the beautiful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news, is that even though we are sinners and we deserve punishment for our sin, Jesus died on the cross. He took our punishment that we might be forgiven for all of our sins. And that's why Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1. We read these verses earlier in the service. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, Just as it is written. And here he's going to quote from the Old Testament. And you know what verse he quotes? 
You know it. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What is Paul saying? It's not your righteousness that gives you life. It's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus that gives you life. Jesus gives you his righteousness. When you put your faith in him, when you trust his death on the cross for you, instead of your own works. Even as Habakkuk put his faith in God's love and faithfulness rather than in the people of Judah. As Habakkuk said, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Therefore, we will not die. God says the righteous will live by faith. So how do we take all this? How do we apply this passage to ourselves today? I want to close by just sharing with you three things this passage tells us about God. Just very simply, three things it tells us about God and then three things it tells us about ourselves. Here we go. Three things this passage tells us about God. Number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is active in the affairs of history. He uses the nations to bring about His will, whether those nations acknowledge Him or not. That's such a good thing to remember in these Once again, these crazy days, these crazy times when you look at the headlines and and just everything seems absolutely so horrible around the world. That God is sovereign over the nations. He will use their actions to accomplish His purposes. He's sovereign. Second thing this passage tells tells us about God, God is holy. He cannot tolerate wrong. His eyes are too pure even to look upon evil. Because God is holy, we, should, we too should be holy in all we do. Third thing it tells us about God, God is just. He will judge all evil in the world, including those whom He has used to judge others. Those are three things the passage tells us about God. Now here's three things this passage tells us about us. We are sinners, and therefore we are all subject to God's condemnation. We may think that we are better than some others in this world. It's like, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I messed up. But look at him. Look at her. Look at them. Just like the people of Judah thought they were better than the Babylonians. We might do that, but you know what? Compared to God's absolute holiness, we are all the same. We are sinners. Number two, we cannot save ourselves by our works. Many people are deceived into thinking that they will go to heaven by their works, by the good things that they've done, when in reality they will not. Our good works are, our good works are just what we're supposed to do anyways. Okay, folks, that's all it is. They do not earn us any merit, and they do not cancel out any of our sins. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves by our works. Therefore, number three, the righteous will live by faith. It is only through faith in Christ that we can be made right with God and know eternal life rather than eternal condemnation. Many times people look at all the evil in the world and they think God doesn't care. Then they learn that God will judge their sin And they think, well, God's not fair, right? But let me assure you this morning, God does care and God is fair. 
God's loving care and God's perfect justice meet together at the cross where Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that if you put your faith in him, you can be saved. Let me encourage you this morning. Put your faith in Christ today and receive his righteousness because God tells us the righteous will live by faith. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Lord, once again, we thank you for Habakkuk. We thank you for his struggles and his questions, which are uh, so eloquently laid out for us in Scripture. Lord, I thank you that you are a loving and just God. You are loving. You are a God who cares. You are just. You are a God who is fair. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that, uh, you know, that we would understand that. And uh, Lord, that's good news for those of us who've trusted Christ. It's, it's, uh, it's difficult news for those of us who are not trusting Christ, for you are just, and you will punish sin. But thank you that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to take that punishment for us. That's the gospel, Lord. That's the good news that we rejoice in today. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.